Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I am the Youth Director here at Sardis Fellowship. This week, I get to share a message from John chapter 18 on Peter's denials and Jesus being accused. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. Good morning. My name is Richard Frankowitz. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the Youth Director here at Sardis Fellowship, and I get to share a message with you guys this morning. And to start us off, I have a question for you. What do others think of you? What do they see when they look at you? When I was in high school, uh, I decided that I wanted people to see something different, something a bit off the wall, something that would take them by surprise and get them to think for a bit. So I had this great idea, I'll show you here. Uh, I would wear swim goggles, like all the time. It wasn't a good idea. This was a bad choice. See. I didn't wear it to the lake or the pool or anywhere that made any sense to. I wasn't on a swim team. This was a fashion choice, a clearly bad fashion choice. But I wanted people to see something different, see something special, see something unique. And so this was my idea. Teenagers have dumb ideas, and I love it when they just go for it. It's great. Um, Our students are awesome, but uh, they don't do dumb stuff like this. The point is, People look at you, they see something, right? They, they see in every choice that you make something that you stand for. And I wonder what will they see when they look at us? What do people see in our daily lives, in our, in our week, in our walk? Um, this morning we're uh, continuing on in our series in John called The Moment of Glory. Uh, this morning we're continuing on the story in chapter 18 in the book of John. If you brought your Bible with you this morning, you can open up to John chapter 18 because we're going to read that together. Um, We're uh, continuing on from where Rod left off. Last week, we talked about the arrest of Christ, which is at the start of chapter 18, and we're going from verse 15 to the end. Um, And just as a reminder out of context, Jesus was just arrested in the middle of the night, and Peter, in this moment, thinks, all right, we're going to fight back, and he draws his sword, and he attacks one of the guards and cuts off their ear, and Jesus goes, no, that's not not the way we're going to do this. He has a different plan. He says, am I not going to drink the cup the Father has given me? And this is the focus that Rod had last week. So would you read with me this morning? So starting in verse 15. So Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest... He went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door. Now the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there to bring Peter in. She said, You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I'm not. Just an interesting side note here. In the previous passage where Jesus was arrested, he said, they're, they're like, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and he goes, I am he. And Rod pointed out that this is the moment where they, they fell, because this is Jesus' declaration as God, I am he. And Peter uses the exact opposite of that phrase, but using the same words, I am not. Interesting, this contrast that John is pointing out here. Anyways, let's continue. Verse 18, it was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I've always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews came together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you're going to answer the high priest? He demanded. 
If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? And then an ass sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not, again as before. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him at the garden? This is a witness. Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? If you were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. And Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. They go, but, but we have no right to execute anyone, they replied. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death that he was going to die. And Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests have handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. So you are a king then, Pilate said. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. It's hard to put emotion into that statement to read how he was really feeling in that moment, whether he was rejecting truth or really listening for it, but nonetheless. With this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis. I find no basis for a charge against him. Uh, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Did you want me to release the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word and for your truth this morning. Would you be with us and give, it, give us wisdom from it, we pray. Amen. So I ask, where do you stand? When challenges come, when rubber hits the road, when life gets tough, because it does, right? Where do we stand? How do we do it? Is it on truth? I want us to take a moment here and we're going to look at the different characters in this story and try and look at it from, from their perspective and look at their stance, look at how they interact with truth, and look at what they're focused on. That's the three things I want us to, to pay attention here as we look at these different characters. So we're going to start with the religious leaders. Now the religious leaders were super shady. They were doing a whole bunch of cloak and dagger stuff here. See, they, they were doing tons of things that they weren't supposed to be doing. First off, they were arresting Jesus and questioning him at night. That was not their custom. They were supposed to do this during the day when people could see it, when it could be visible to people, where there would be accountability. No, they did it at night. They were trying to sneak around and do something they weren't supposed to be doing. The second reason it was super shady is because they didn't have witnesses. They weren't questioning witnesses about Jesus. They were questioning Jesus about Jesus. And that's not the due process. That's not part of their custom here. 
they, they should be questioning people that can testify to why he's a criminal, but instead they're just asking him, trying to get him to trip up, trying to, trying to tell what, what he's doing to get him to say something that they can actually condemn him for, that they could stone him for, even though they're not supposed to do that either. So they're, they're trying to do this the wrong way entirely, at the wrong time, without witnesses. And the third super shady thing that they do that's all cloak and dagger about this is that they don't have any charges to bring before Pilate. We see in verse, verses 30 to 32 that they come up to Pilate and Pilate's like, what are the charges? And they're like, we wouldn't bring him to you if he wasn't a criminal, right? You should just take him. Like this is, they're just expecting that he's going to follow through and, you know, sentence this guy to death because they brought him to him. He should be a criminal. That's how it should go. That's not the way it works. And Pilate knows that. And so do they. So they're, they're acting in a way that they're totally not supposed to, and they know that. Because these religious leaders here, are, they're bending Jewish law, and they're bending Roman law, just to get what they want here. And you might look at that and go, oh man, they're just trying to get their own way. But the thing is, they thought they were doing the right thing. They thought that they were doing what God wants. In their law, if a blasphemer is blaspheming, they were to be stoned. So they thought they were doing the right thing. They believed that firmly, and that's why they were willing to do this and go above the law, because the law was preventing them from enacting what they saw as justice in the moment. So we love justice, right? Justice is important to us. It's critical for society to function. We need justice. But think about this for a second. If God gave us justice, how would that go for us? pretty poorly, right? <laughs> go pretty poorly for me. But God doesn't do that. See, these religious leaders, they go beyond the law to get justice because it's so important to them. It's what they're focused on. But God goes above justice in this whole scenario to give us grace, which is totally awesome. It's something that only God would do, <laughs> right? We, we, the thing is, just like the religious leaders here, we can get caught up doing the wrong thing, believing it's the right thing really easily. Uh, As soon as we get off track, it can lead us in places we don't expect to go, don't intend to go, right? Um, I used to be working in a pyramid scheme a while back. And uh, when I was doing so, I had a lot of people that I was working with who weren't Christians, and I wanted to be a good witness to them. So I thought, I should hang out with them. I should go and spend time with them and get to know them and help them get to know me so that I can be a good witness, right? And naturally, these bunch of friends who don't want anything to do with going to church decide they want to go hang out at the bar after work. So I'm going to go hang out with them because I want to go and be there and be with them so that I can be a witness. So I'm going with them to the bar, and then the next week they want to go back to the bar. And so I'm like, okay, well, I want to be a good witness, so I should be present, so I'm trying to go along with it. And the more it stacks up week after week, I end up finding that I'm doing things that I know I don't really want to be doing. I don't, going to places I don't intend to be going, don't have any business or real reason to want to be there, but I'm justifying it with this phrase saying, oh yeah, I'm trying to be a good witness. Tim talked about this a couple weeks ago, about how we're supposed to be in the world and not not of the world, but for the world. And that not of the world piece is is really important, right? Because if 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 we make our witness not the way it's supposed to be, if we break it down by doing things we know we're not supposed to be doing, the wrong thing when, when we think it's the right thing, we end up messing up our witness, the one that we're supposed to have. See, this religious leader's stance, this one that they have is one of justice over, over law. They want justice first, and it's leading them to a place that they know they're not supposed to be going. They know they're not supposed to bend the law, but they're going for it anyways. You know why they're doing it? It's because the enemy's a deceiver. It's his job, and he's really good at it. If he can get us to just 
bend off the path a little bit, it can lead us to places that we don't intend on going. If it can get us to push the boundary a little bit, it can lead us to places we know we're not supposed to be going. And that hurts us for it, and it hurts our witness for it. So to fight that, we need discernment. If he's going to go ahead and try and distract our focus away from what's important, away from truth and what is right and what God wants for us, we need discernment to be able to know what God's plan is, what he wants for us, and what truth is. So in order to do that, we need to immerse ourselves in the truth, in the word of God, so that we can know right from wrong. And when we do that, because truth should be our focus, when we do that, we can stay focused on the right things. The religious leaders here, they think they're standing on the truth, but in actuality, the truth is standing right in front of them. Jesus Christ is right there, and they miss it because they're looking at the wrong thing, focused on the wrong thing. Before I move on from these guys, I just want to look at Jesus' response really quick because I think he's holding up a mirror. I think he does that a lot. In verse 21, he says, why question me? Like, they, they know they're supposed to be questioning witnesses, and Jesus knows that's not due process. That's not the custom they're supposed to be going with, and he says that. It's like he's saying, are you sure? Are you sure this is the way you want to go about this? Are you sure that this is the plan you want to go down? Are you sure you want to bend the rules when you know you're not supposed to be? I think the Holy Spirit does that for us all the time, right? Are you, are you sure? Is this really the plan? Is this the plan that, that God has? He's really good at that. Okay, I want to look at uh, Pilate. We're going to move on to him for a bit. Now, looking again at the stance that he has, his interaction with truth, and the focus that he has, um, I think that Pilate is just stuck. <laughs> He's in a rock and a hard, between a rock and a hard place. He's in a really rough spot here because He's got a job to do as a Roman official. He needs to be preventing a riot here. The whole reason he's in Jerusalem at Passover is he's at this palace because it's an emotionally high time for the Jewish people. Their, they, their tension is there. There's a crowd at his doorstep demanding them to sentence somebody to death. The emotions are high. There's a riot like on the verge here, and he's got to stop that from happening. So he needs to satisfy these people. But at the same time, he has oversight. He has to report to the Roman government. There's accountability there. He can't just go breaking the rules. He can't just go sentencing people to death without any kind of charge for it. He needs a reason and a good one that the Romans can justify. He's stuck. He's in a hard spot. He's trying to appease the Roman government and the Jewish people, and he's looking for any answer to do it. Anything that could, that could give him a cause to actually use capital punishment and make, make the people happy, right? That's why in verses 33 to 38, we see this conversation between Jesus and Pilate where he's talking about the kingdom, trying to ask, what kind of king are you? He says, are you the king of the Jews? And they talk about this, and Jesus talks about how his, his kingdom is not one of this world. He's trying to paint a picture for Pilate, and I think Pilate gets it, that, that his kingdom has nothing to do with Rome. It's not a threat to Rome. Jesus' kingdom is on a totally different level. It's in the spiritual realm. That is his kingdom, and that's what he tries to convey, and I think Pilate ultimately gets it because he comes back to the Jews and he says, you know what, I don't see a cause to charge this guy to death with. So he, he understands that point, but he's still looking for a way out. So he says, oh, okay, you know what, it's, it's our custom to release a prisoner at this time at Passover. Let's do that. How about Jesus, right? This guy's awesome. He hasn't done anything wrong. Let's go with Jesus. It'll be a good time. You, you win. You get to charge the guy. He gets the, 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 the charges. However, we also don't have to kill him. He didn't do anything wrong. It's a good idea. Everybody wins. No. <laughs> they cry out, give us Barabbas. Sentence him to death. They don't want any way out for Jesus here. 
And Pilate is desperate for any way to get through this mess, any way at all. I think he's totally focused on self-preservation. I think that self-preservation is completely defining the stance that he has. And it's tough. When you're in tough space, self-preservation is pretty important. But ultimately, for Pilate here, it's not a very strong foundation to stand on because it's focused on the self. It's not focused on God. It's not focused on truth. He's all focused on me. It's a weak foundation. But the thing is, when you're desperate for a lifeline, when you're desperate for a way out, when things are hard, what is true and what is right don't necessarily matter to you as much as what's easy and what's going to get you through and what's going to save you. Sometimes we end up in these spots that are difficult and we're not sure what to do with them. We end up not being focused on what's true and what's right, but instead being focused on what's easy. I used to be a tree planter in the summers, and uh, tree planting is hell, but uh, I loved it. It was a good time. It was dumb. I'll never go back. But anyways, tree planting. When you're tree planting, you're supposed to be basically like planting like a perfect grid, right? In the middle of these woods that have been logged. It's not like a flat grass field. No, 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 no. It's, it's all the hills, all the gorges, all the valleys. It's where the loggers have come in. They've cut down, taken what they wanted, and left everything else. There's stumps everywhere, fallen logs of the kinds of trees they didn't want, all kinds of brush and, and sticks that cut you up, and just problems everywhere. So you have to try and just make a grid, but not exactly. You try and finagle it, right? Of course, I run into the worst things. You know, wasps are like the most territorial things in the world, the most horrible creatures. Wasps are great. Um, so they, <laughs> they're so territorial. So when I, when I hear a wasp nest when I'm tree planting, because they're everywhere, they just love tree planting blocks. So naturally, I want to go around it because I don't want to get stung by a wasp. Those things hurt. So I'm going to make my way around. And in doing so, I end up creating these pockets when I give the wasp nest a wide berth. And I make these pockets. And the thing is, it doesn't feel like a big deal because it's a 10 cent tree. I'm not going to get stung by a wasp for a 10 cent tree. But at the end of the day, if the foresters come in a year later and they find that there's all these pockets all over the place because of these wasp nests, our company gets fined. So I have a responsibility to go ahead and plant those areas. But I don't want to do it for a 10 cent tree, not for a wasp sting. That hurts. So. I cut, I cut corners, right? When you're in a tight spot, you cut corners. When the pressure's on, when it really matters, we do what we have to sometimes because, you know, we want to do what's easy. But the thing is, doing what's easy is not always doing what's right. In fact, what I've learned lately is that doing the easy thing is basically never the right thing. <laughs> it really sucks sometimes, but it's important. If we want to stay focused on what's right, on what really matters, on what truth is, the right thing to do, we have to be willing to let go of what's easy. Because what's easy is rarely what's right. It's just the way that the universe works. Okay, we're going to look at Peter. Um, now, Peter, he has this moment. Now, it, uh, when Jesus is arrested just prior to this story, Peter is gung-ho. He is drawing the sword. He is ready to fight. And when he draws a sword against a mob of people, he's ready to die for it. He's going to fight, right? He's not coming in like half going at this. No, he's, he's ready to fight. And in doing so, he's trying to protect what he believes is, is truth. He believes that Jesus is here. He is the Messiah. And I'm going to fight for him. I'm going to die for him. That's this perspective that Peter walks into this moment with just, just prior to this. And now Jesus lets himself get arrested. Let's, Jesus goes ahead and he says, no, 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 no. And he lets it happen. And it totally rocks Peter's world. 
I mean, his understanding of truth is completely shaken in this moment, right? Like, what on earth is happening? And he has no idea, no idea here. He thought he knew the right thing, but he's just not sure anymore. Now, Daryl Johnson in the series and John, he points out that Jesus actually needed Peter to fail. It's kind of a weird thing, but Jesus actually needed Peter to fail here. Peter was scared. He was super scared because now Jesus is arrested and, you know, his, his, his life is, is in these people's hands and maybe his life might be in their hands too. He's not sure. So he's afraid. He's lying. He's denying. He's doing what he needs to do here. See, Peter had been doing it all on his own. He had been doing it his way. You know, jump in the boat, draw the sword. This is Peter, gung-ho, guns blazing. But he was doing it his way. And he needed to learn how to listen. He needed to learn how to do it God's way, not his way. And uh, in order to do that, Jesus needed Peter to fail so that Peter could learn to become a follower. Followers don't go guns blazing without listening to their leader first, right? They listen. They go, go according to the plan. Peter was trying to stand on his own two feet, on his own strength, and it was failing him. His focus needed to shift. It needed to stop being focused on Peter's plan and start being focused on God's plan. It needed to shift. Because how was he going to go ahead and lead Christ's church if he's doing it his own way, right? This is what God had planned for him. Now, just as a quick aside here, you might think that like church leaders and pastors don't question whether or not they're following God's plan or going by God's will because they're working in a church. Obviously, they're following God's plan, right? Just to be honest with you, no, we question it constantly, right? Yeah, it's a battle that we're fighting all the time. We fight in prayer, and man, we could use your prayer. Pray for your leaders. Pray for Rod. Pray for Tim. We could use it. Um, but yeah, back to Peter. Because, see, he needed to fail. Jesus needed him to fail. And sometimes we actually need to fail, fail too. Because sometimes we need a wake-up call. It's reality. It's a harsh reality sometimes. I sure needed that. I had an experience like that about eight years ago. Um, I was going ahead and I was living life my way. I was going by my own plan. I wasn't going by God's way. And in doing so, God was seeing this and trying to get me to stop. So he was trying to speak loud and clear. And of course, Richard, being the smart guy he is, has his fingers in his ears. He's not listening to this. That's not the way he plans to go. And it wasn't until God went ahead and let me fail. He let me fall. He let me experience some pain, some loss, and some hurt. And it sucked. But because of that, I was actually able to see what I was leading myself to. And because of that, I was actually able to gain some clarity. I needed that. I needed to fail. Sometimes we do. I love the very next thing that happens in this story. At that moment, the rooster crowed. It's a weird thing. It's a reference, of course, to, to earlier in John 13, 38, where Jesus is predicting that Peter's going to deny him. And so he, he says, you know, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. It's a weird thing to pick the rooster crows. He could have picked anything like a bell chiming or a big clanging noise, anything like the sun could have come up. No, it didn't matter. He picked a rooster crowed. Weird thing. Um, I love it because it's this picture of grace, right? Peter's in this moment. He's just made the worst decision. He's failed horribly. And then the rooster crows, and it reminds him of what Jesus said, and he knows it. He's filled with shame. It hurts. He's in a dark moment. But when does the rooster crow? 
at a new day. Good morning. It is a new day for Peter. Jesus had set this up before Peter had failed in the first place. Peter was going to fail, and like that, it's going to be a new day for Peter. It's a picture of grace, a second chance. You know, it's probably a pretty good farming analogy in here about roosters crowing, but I'm not Rod, so I don't have any for you. Uh, We're going to talk about Jesus, (laughs) Um, because Jesus here in this moment, he is standing firm on the truth. He's a great example for us. His focus is fixed on the Father's will and submitting to God and listening and drinking the cup that the Father has for him. And there's this, this contrast that John sets up, this really dramatic thing. It, it's interesting. Uh, D.A. Carson points this out, that Peter, he cowers and he denies everything before his questioners. And then there's Jesus on the totally opposite side. He's standing firm. He's not cowering whatsoever. He denies nothing because he is speaking truth before his accusers who are accusing him falsely. He's firm in the truth. I want to look at Jesus standing firm real quick. A couple of things. In verse uh, 23, he said, If I said something wrong, testify as to what is wrong. Point out the false thing here. But if I didn't, if I spoke truth, why strike me? He he spoke truth. He's pointing this out to them. In verse 36, when when Pilate is questioning him, he's saying, Are you the king of the Jews? He gives him a firm answer. My kingdom is not of this world. It's from another place. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone who is on the side of truth listens to me. He's pointing a few things out here. His kingdom is established in truth. And his subjects, the people serving him, are the ones who have heard this truth and are walking in it, who have received it and are on the side of truth because Jesus is the king of truth. This is his kingdom. It's established and rooted in truth. And it's doing so because he's standing on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He has God walking with him, giving him this ability to stand on truth. Now, if you've checked out at all during this of going on, maybe you've been feeling like, okay, well, we're talking about the Pharisees, and I'm not like the Pharisees. I didn't do that, so I could check that box. And, you know, Pilate's doing his own thing. I didn't like that, so I'm checking that box. And Peter's afraid. Well, I don't feel very afraid, so I could check that box, right? Okay, that leaves me in Jesus' box. So I guess I'm good. I'm like Jesus. Now, this isn't one of those messages this morning. This is not a checking the box, be like Jesus situation. I'm saying, look, don't lose focus. Don't lose focus on the stance that you have, on what you are standing on. Don't lose focus on truth. Don't lose focus on what is right. Don't lose focus on what God is calling you to. Don't lose focus. Don't check out, because hard times will come. And when they do, how will you stand? We got to know this. We got to be ready for it. We got to keep our focus. It's important. So I want to say two things about how we will stand as we close here. One is, what are you standing before? Because see, how you will stand implies that you are standing before something, standing in front of something. You're never standing on an island completely by yourself, right? You stand before something. Everyone in this story, the religious leaders and Pilate and Jesus and Peter, they're all standing before someone, presenting something. And for us, to be able to stand is to be able to stand before something, in front of something, with a stance that we're presenting truth, right? See, I wore goggles in high school because I wanted people to see something different. I wanted people to see something special. But I don't want that anymore. (laughs) When I want people to look at me, I want people to see something real. I want them to see the love of God and Christ, right? That's the focus that we need to be 
just fixed to, right? What do others see from the stance that you have? When you're with your friends, when you're with your family, special time with your kids or just in the, in, you know, the superstore and you're shopping, getting groceries and there's strangers in public seeing you and interacting with you. Maybe you're just leaving them alone, giving them a wide berth. I don't know. Regardless, you have witness constantly, right? To what you are standing on and standing for. People see this in us. When we're hanging out with our friends. Are we hanging out at the bar every week? I mean, there's nothing, like, it's not innately sinful or wrong to go to the bar. But if that's what we're doing all the time to, for some reason, giving ourselves an excuse for it, we're probably missing the point. It's important to care about the stance that we have. What does it communicate? Love and truth or something else? Second thing I want to point out about standing is that when we stand, we stand in the big and the small. This is the series on the moment of glory. These are about the big moments for Christ right, be, right before and leading up to his death and resurrection. This is, this is important moments in this story. But if we want to have a stance that portrays truth in the big things, we also need to have a stance that portrays truth in the little things. Because if we don't, we're not going to be ready for it. You guys have heard the saying, practice makes perfect, right? Well, we need practice in order to do this. If we're going to be able to stand on truth in the big things, when the rubber hits the road, when life gets hard, when we need to make a good choice and it matters, man, we need that practice so that it is our go-to. If we're not standing on truth in the little things, we're going to miss it up in the big things. So we have to get that practice in. It's important for us to build up that strength and that, that muscle to be able to be ready for it. Because the little moments, they matter too. We like to think that they don't, that, they, that we can miss them. But they, the little moments, they matter too. I'd like to invite the worship team. And uh, I'm going to end off on a little piece of encouragement here. Um, so Romans 8.37 says, We are now more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors because of Christ who loved us. Why? Because Christ is the conqueror. He came in and he conquered it all. All those hard situations that we deal with, the big scary stuff, he's been there and he's with us in those, conquering it all. Sin, death, the things we couldn't even start to think about how to conquer, he's already done it for us on our behalf. He has promised to be with us, fighting for us and with us, giving us the strength to stand. We are not alone. We are not alone. So how will you stand? On truth? With Christ? By the Holy Spirit? Let's go. Let's pray. Father God, be with us. Remind us that you are there giving us the strength to stand when we need it. Give us the power to be with you in truth and to be focused on what's right, what's important, what's true. Give us grace, Lord, and give us courage. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.